Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Okay, this morning's reading is taken from Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, and uh, headed with the fellowship of the believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favour of all people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Amen. Good morning. Uh, It's wonderful uh, to have the opportunity this morning to share God's word with you all. Uh, I've been told to send out crash youth and sprout. Thank you. Um, Before we start sort of uh, reflecting on God's word, let's just for a moment bow our heads and just commit this time into the Lord's hand. So Heavenly Father, We are so thankful to you for bringing us together this morning to reflect on your word, but also on what you've called us as a church, as a gathering of your people, what you've called us to do. Lord, we do pray that not only will we hear your message to us, but that you will move us, you move our hearts to really open our ears and our hearts to you, to obey your call for us as a gathering of your people. And for us to be challenged in our thoughts, in our thinking of us as being your followers, to really think deep into what it is that you're calling us and for us to obey your call, for us to become a true follower of yours, not only that, but to obey your command, to go out and make disciples of others. So Lord, we commit this time into your hands and we pray that your presence with us will bless us and will also move us to do something about what you're calling us to do. We thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So quite, quite often, I don't know about you, but quite often I've heard that particular sentence, I wish the church was like the first century church. 
<clears throat> I'm pretty sure we've all thought about that. Uh, how was the first century church? And what, what can we do to, in a sense, be like the, that first century church? But is that possible? Is that something we should be aiming at? So let, let's reflect a few for the next few minutes on what we are basically as a church and what we are called to do as a church. Now, you, you've all heard about um, Tim Keller, who passed away recently. And while researching for this particular topic, I came across one of his articles that's titled Five Features That Made the Early Church Unique. And this is what he said. <clears throat> In the first three centuries, Christians were persecuted more than any other religious group because they refused to honor other gods or worship the emperor. They were seen as too exclusive, too narrow, and a threat to the social order. And there's the question. So why, if Christians were seen as offensive and were excluded from circles of influence and business and often put to death, why did anyone become a Christian in those first three centuries? And this is what he said. One main reason was that the Christian church was a unique social project. There were a contrast community, a counterculture that was both offensive and yet attractive to many. And he carried on by saying that the basis for this unusual social project was the unique religious identity of Christians. Before Christianity, there was no distinct religious identity, since your religion was simply an aspect of your ethnic and national identity. If you were from this city, or from this tribe, or from this nation, you worshipped the gods of that city, tribe, or people. Your religion was basically assigned to you. <clears throat> When we think about it, for some of us, that's where we come from. We were born in a Christian family, maybe several generations back, and so by default, we become a Christian. We are assigned as being a Christian. <clears throat> now, this is how he continues. He says, Christianity brought into human thought for the first time the concept that you choose your religion regardless of your race and class. Christianity also radically asserted that your faith in Christ became your new deepest identity while at the same time not wiping out your race, class, or gender. Instead, your relationship to Christ demoted them to second place. This meant 
to the shock of the Roman society that all Christians, whether slave, free, or whatever their race or nationality, was not equal, was now equal in Christ. That was the radical challenge to the social structure and division of the Roman society in those days. That's something that makes us think about our own faith. The identity that we are all sort of trying to bring out as a church, as a gathering of his people. And then he gave sort of five features that was unique in those days. And he said that the early church was multiracial, which is what we are here now, isn't it? No different. But it experienced a unity across ethnic boundaries that was startling. He also said that the early church was a community of forgiveness and reconciliation. The early church, the third point was the early church was famous for its hospitality to the poor and the suffering. It was a community committed to the sanctity of life. Because bear in mind that in those days, um, under the Roman sort of society, if an infant was unwanted, they were just thrown away as garbage. But the Christian believers, followers of Christ made it, committed themselves to the sanctity of life, even in those days. And it was a sexual counterculture. You still remember some of the, um, in my younger days, we had a lot of movies showing, depicting the Roman sort of culture. And you can see the debauchery that was in those days. But for the Christian, they wanted to have something different. They know that as followers of Christ, they needed to be different. So he ends that article, I think, in a really wonderful way. He says, it was because the early church did not fit in with its surrounding culture, but rather challenged it in love that Christianity eventually had such an effect on it. Remember the first question I was wondering at? How can we look like the first century church? Do we see us in that category where we are challenging the culture around us? We are challenging that in love. I know this one is, has been written about maybe 2,000 years after the first century church started. So let's go back 2,000 years and look at what the first century church were doing for them to have such an impact on the society. 
let us look at Acts chapter 2. Because it was written right in the first century. It was giving some sort of a picture of how that first century church looked like. And what does it say? That was read to us just a few minutes ago. What did it say? Unfortunately, I won't have time to look at that whole passage. I was intending to do that, but I don't think I'll have time this morning to finish off that whole passage. So I will sort of maybe look at two or three verses. Verse 42, it says, they, that is, followers of Christ in those days, they, what's the word after that? What does that mean? They dedicated themselves to the things that follow. They devoted themselves. What do they devote themselves to? Apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. That was their focus. That's what they were devoted themselves to. So when we think about it, that sort of particular event or that particular passage appeared in Acts chapter 2 just after the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And just after that, what happened was Peter stood to preach in response to two statements. One was a question the other one was an insult, right? This is what those believers, those followers, the apostles, like Peter, this is what they were facing on the day of Pentecost. So the question was, when people heard about the others speaking in their own language, in their own tongues, they were asking this question. What does that mean? That was the question. <clears throat> and then there was the insult. Ah, oh, they're all full of spirit or wine. That's why they're talking in languages, in things that we can't understand. So that's if we think about it, that's the sort of things that basically some of us we are facing, isn't it? We are asked the question, why do you go to church on a Sunday? Or even why do you spend so much time reading something that was written maybe 2,000 years ago? What does that mean? That's a question. And the insult is, those people must be crazy to believe in such a thing. Right? That's insult. And how, how did they, 
the followers in those days, how did they respond to that? This is that text. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. <clears throat> Do we see any argument about, well, we believe in that because of? No. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, to prayer. So let, let's look at the apostles' teaching. In those days, as you know, the New Testament was not in the form that we have now. It was being transmitted already around, and it was not sort of really written down yet. But scriptures was available, that is, the Old Testament was available. So they were relying on, really, the apostles opening up the Old Testament and guiding them, showing them the way that is Christ. What does the Old Testament was teaching about who Christ is? And they were also giving out, telling the others, telling the followers about what they've learned from Christ himself. All the lessons, all the things that Christ was teaching them. And I think this is a challenge that we as believers, as followers of Christ, that's a challenge that we need to take up. What does the Word of God mean to me? And how serious, how devoted am I to the Word of God? If I am, if I am to follow Him, how do I value his message? How do I take his message in, day in, day out, and follow what his teaching is? How much time do I spend with him? Reading, studying, reflecting, meditating on his word. I'm not saying this as we pastors normally we, we say. I'm serious about God's word. Um, very briefly, when I became a Christian many, 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 many decades ago, I'm really, really thankful to the person who guided me into the scriptures, into reading the Bible. And as I was reading through it, I discovered the God whom I am following, who that Jesus Christ really is. 
I was born in a Christian family, if you want to. Um, basically, my parents were from an Anglican background, and we were baptized as Anglicans because from Mauritius, where I come from, if you were Anglicans in the 1960s, it was easier for you to get a job because the British, it was a British colony. So I grew up in the Anglican church, but all the stories that I heard, they helped me to understand, but not to have that personal connection with God. And when I became a Christian, when I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, the reason I did that was so that I do not lose a friend because I was in England, outside of the country where I was born, no family, no one, and therefore I, had, I met someone, a friend, who started sharing the gospel to me. And on one night when he asked me, do you believe, what do you think I can say? He's the only person that I can rely on in those days. And I said, yes. And he gave me a Bible, and I started reading the New Testament. When I reached John, that was when I saw the beauty of the God that I said yes to. And then what happened was I was in a small group. In those days, it was called a cell group. Right? Cell because it's not dead. A cell is alive because it divides. So what happened was, in that small group, in that cell group, I started to learn about how do I maintain that relationship with God. And through maintaining that relationship with God, how do I have a relationship with others who are followers of Christ? So that first year, it was sort of hit and miss in the sense that, yes, um, I was taught how to memorize verses in those days uh, through the navigator system. And we also sort of went through um, <clears throat> the sort of how to study the Bible, very simple. Um, that is observation, and then you go into sort of interpretation and application. Very simple system that I'm still using in preparing for uh, the message today. But the thing is, what I also learn is the support that the cell group provided to me, 40 odd years, 40 plus years further down the track, I'm still in contact with some of them. We are in different countries. We have different sort of backgrounds, but I'm still in contact with them. Why? Because it was so significant for my own spiritual life, for my own life, that I value those. And the reason why I am doing what I am doing now, or for the past 25 odd years, as a pastor, as someone who was helping or supporting others, other pastors to um, do 
be in the role of a pastor is because of what I saw, what I experienced in that cell group. That's why I'm so passionate about connect groups in this church. Because for us to be able to dedicate ourselves to God's word, for us to be able to come together and have fellowship, and fellowship is not just like what our pastor is sort of telling us to stay back and have a cup of coffee afterwards. That's, yeah, that's okay. We, can, we connect with each other. But for us to know each other to the depth that we need to, there is no way that we can only do that by coming to church on a Sunday morning. It is important, I'm not saying it's not important, for us to come together as a community, but for us to grow, for us to be able to live a life that's worthy of God's call, I think, I believe, I strongly believe that Connect Groups is where we should be doing that sort of living together. Um, There there, there is an illustration that I think would be very helpful for us to understand that word fellowship. Fellowship in Acts chapter 2 is more than just having a meal together or connecting together. And someone gave that particular sort of um, example, if you want, uh, for us to understand it a bit better. So what that person is saying uh, in a book called Up With Worship, it compares two kinds of communities normally found in churches. The one he call, uh, she calls as a bag of marbles. So when you put the marbles in the bag, right, similar to when, a, when we come together for fellowship, and this is what she says, they clack and they clatter, they glitter and throw off lights beautifully and they scratch each other. They connect, but they don't mingle. That's not true fellowship as described here in Acts chapter 2. The other kind of community is a bag of grapes. You put them together in the bag, you shake them, what happens? It starts to drip. You look inside, it's not pretty, but they are mingling. Life blends together. And she writes, and life bleeds into the others. That's the sort of community. That's the sort of fellowship that we can have in a connect group. And that's the sort of fellowship that I experienced over the years, especially in the first cell group that I was in very early in my Christian life. 
we came from different countries. We had different backgrounds. Some of us were students. Some of us were sort of working in restaurants, Chinese restaurant in Birmingham, which is where I studied. Some were nurses. And so during the holidays, we were going around together. And it did happen that because we were in Hall of Residences, so we were living close together, and we were meeting practically every day. And as you know, when you meet someone every day, the way they make coffee, the way they make tea, for example, I grew up with tea, right? Because in Mauritius we do have tea, we drink tea a lot. They showed me a different way of drinking that tea. They boil the tea in milk, which we never do back in Mauritius. And they put about five teaspoonful of sugar in there. <laughs> when I grew up, because my mom was diabetic, I didn't have sugar. That's how we were rubbing against each other. When I told them that, they said, no, 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 this is how you should be drinking that. And also about, even about the studies when we were studying the Bible, right? We would see different things. We were sharing different things. We had a lot of really good discussion about what the Bible was. And that's how I grew. I wasn't always right. Most of the time, because they did. <clears throat> those days, I, was not, I didn't know how to research and all those things. So they were doing the researching and everything, and they came up with some sort of answers that I said, hmm, that's not what it's saying. But they said, no, we look at this book, and this is what this book was saying, so you're wrong. So that's, that's how we blend together. And I can say that even in our connect group today, and I know some of us are here, we have really deep discussion about what the Bible says, about what is the Bible teaching us on how we are to live. And not only that, but a connect group helps us to have some sort of, if you want, accountability. And that's very important. We were challenging each other into really going deep down into the Bible. And one of the challenge as part of this whole, this whole experience of trying to support one another, trying to help one another to grow in Christ, we threw up the challenge of reading the Bible in one year. And we did it. Now, the Word of God is available to all of us. Who hasn't got a phone? Who hasn't got a phone? Right? If you have a phone, you have the Bible in however many versions that you want. It's free of charge. 
and I actually support the U version. I'm one of the team lead who helps the uh, volunteers whenever we have to respond to all the queries that we have about U version. If you want to, I'm happy to sit down with you and show you how to use the U version. That's available free of charge. But I can't, with, with the U um, version, with the Bible and all these, you can do it by yourself. But fellowship is different. For fellowship, you will need to be with others. For breaking bread together, that is worship and prayer, you need to be with others. <clears throat> so what I am trying to say is <clears throat> if we want to be a church that looks like the first century church, now it's not possible because there were more home church, but we can get close to it. We can devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, which is God's word. We can devote ourselves to fellowship with one another, really deep down true fellowship with one another. We can devote ourselves to breaking bread together, that is worship together, and also to pray together. And I think last week, <clears throat> The sermon started with this question, what is your story? To tell what the Lord has done for you. This is in preparation of sort of having a story to tell others, to share to others the times when our walk with God has basically direct us to have a deeper relationship, not only to God, but to one another as well. <clears throat> if you've read the um, church bulletin, um, there I've got a couple of links on survey that Barna, an American sort of uh, organization, research organization, uh, on some sort of research that they did. Um, but I believe it's fairly close to what we have here in Australia. There were those who responded, 1,600 odd uh, Christians from uh, the US, they were asked the question, select which item comes close to describing why you're not discipling another person currently? And these are the top ones. I don't think I am qualified or equipped to disciple others. That's 37% of Christians are saying that they are not qualified or equipped to disciple others. 24% said no one has suggested it or asked me. Now, today, 100% of us will have been asked 
no excuse. Okay? <clears throat> and then 22% said, I haven't thought about it. Now 100% we've been asked to think about it. Okay? <clears throat> the Great Commission, and I'm, <clears throat> I'm great that Nicole read part of it. The Great Commission doesn't just say go and convert others. Right? It does say go and make disciples of all nations. Right? It doesn't end there as well. It says, <clears throat> and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So how do we make disciples, right, of others? It's to teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. That is, Jesus Christ has commanded us. It's a circular thing. So when we teach someone to obey everything that God or Jesus has commanded us, right, they too, they will be asked to teach others everything that Jesus has commanded them to do. It's a circular thing. This is why we believe that. We need in this church, in this day and age, if we want to follow Christ, we need to become disciple makers. Right? No excuse that we haven't heard about it. No excuse about, well, I don't know, no one has asked me. But next year, we are planning to equip people, you, to become disciple makers. So if you want to, on the 9th of December at 8.30, we'll serve you breakfast and we'll tell you what we are thinking of doing. And I've spoken... I might not have told you about that, but I've spoken to uh, our connect group, and we will be providing breakfast. Right? <clears throat> now, that same banner, and I'm going to finish on that, that same banner um, survey with the same sort of people, um, it sort of asks people in different groups what their relationship with Jesus, um, whether that really brings them to a deep joy and satisfaction, and also whether Jesus' relationship with Jesus impacts the way they live their lives. Right? <clears throat> and what the response there is, 65% of those in discipling communities, that is, those who are in like connect groups, 65% of them said that their relationship 
with Jesus is bringing them deep joy and satisfaction and also impacting the way they live in their everyday life. I'm not making it. You've got the link. Go and have a look. And those who are sort of the whole sample, that is all the Christians that they've asked the same question, right, whether they are in discipling community or not, only 45%, and they are all believers, only 45% of all Christians said that their relationship with Jesus is bringing them deep joy and satisfaction, and that is impacting the way they live their lives. That's how important being part of a connect group is. And that's how important it is. Not only do we just belong to a connect group, but that that connect group, the focus is on making disciples. I'm not just talking about head knowledge. And I think I might have said it in front here. Right? The difference is, the difference between knowing Jesus and knowing about Jesus is only a foot. You know about Jesus here, but for you to know Jesus is just one foot down here. That's the heart. Right. So you will hear a bit more about connect groups, about belonging to connect groups, and also about discipleship making. But the invitation this morning is for you to put in your diary the 9th of December at 8.30 here in church for us to talk about it. That's the invitation that you have. <clears throat> so, to finish off, Barna sort of says in that particular report, he says, similarly, when Christians don't have a relationship that provides accountability, support, and, and spiritual growth, the main reason is that they haven't thought about it or they haven't found someone with whom they want to have that sort of relationship. From these responses, we gather that invitations into spiritually fruitful relationships just aren't naturally occurring in churches. Invitation to that spiritually fruitful relationship is not happening in churches. In this church, we are going to make it different. You are invited, each and every one of us, to have a spiritually fruitful relationship through connect groups. You are invited, 100% of us here, 100% of those of us online, you have heard the invitation. And so we want you to respond. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we commit ourselves to you. You've spoken to us. You've invited us to have that spiritually fruitful relationship 
with you and also with one another. And so, Lord, we do pray that we will respond to it in a way that you deserve to have that sort of response. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. And we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.